This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 11th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. What predicts how well young people will perform in school? How has a group of charter schools in New York done so very well? Robert Pondicio spent a year in a success academy school. The book detailing his observations is How the Other Half Learns, Equality, Excellence, and the Battle Over School Choice. This book is uh, in the trenches, as it were. You spent a year uh, at a success academy, and we'll get into we'll get into that. Um, I guess, did you have particular expectations going into this that were immediately dashed? Wow, what a good question. And, and and I have to challenge myself to recapture my mindset walking in because now you know you can't forget what you know and what you've seen and what you've learned. Um, I think like a lot of folks in New York, I've been uh, fascinated by Success Academy for a very long time. Uh, and yeah, it's about the test scores. But um, you know, there's more to a school than the test scores. But the test scores are just, um, how can I put this without seem, seeming outrageous? They were just too good to be true. Uh, I think I wrote a piece in the Daily News some years ago, and I made the analogy that I didn't know if Eva Moskowitz was the uh, the, the Michael Jordan of, of of testing or the Mark McGuire, and and what that means if you're a sports fan is you know Michael Jordan was this transcendent athlete, and and Mark McGuire was a, a steroids cheat. So you know, having been um, in the trenches myself, teaching in the very same neighborhood where I. Um, uh, where, where I was uh, covering Success Academy, it, it just seemed these these scores were too good to be true. And in particular, their ELA scores. I mean, I don't want to uh, divert the, the, the conversation in, in a different direction. It, it doesn't always surprise me when schools can put points on the board quickly for math. It's a school-based subject. Uh, it's not as uh, subject to um, uh, influences outside the classroom. ELA is is really um, you know uh, uh, every every input in a child's life uh, builds language proficiency or fails to. So the fact that their ELA scores were as remarkable as they were, not as good as math, but still quite good, that to me was the um, you know the thing that said, hmm, there's something going on here that I don't understand because I do, I don't know how you get to scores like that in a community like this. Uh- who is Eva Moskowitz? Talk about her a little bit. Wow. Uh, do people really not know who Eva Moskowitz is? Uh, my, my credulity is strained. Um, I, I kid, but only slightly. She is a um, deeply polarizing figure. Uh, Donald Trump uh, asked her to be education secretary, and she she turned him down. She is the, a, a former city councilman, a former, uh, I believe, history uh, professor at the University of Virginia. And uh, founded Success Academy about a dozen years ago, uh, after having been kind of the the uh, teachers union's Torquemada uh, as a city council person. So she she kind of walked in the door with a um, a well articulated set of views uh, about education um, and and about uh, what what low income kids of color needed to 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 achieve. So she started with uh, the the one school that's now grown to about fifty schools in about a dozen years, and and what makes her uh, such a polarizing figure, in addition to kind of just being you know um, politically uh, visible is that there's no such thing as a bad success academy school I'm by the standard of test scores. I always feel the need to caveat that. Um, you know, there's other things that makes a school good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but to my knowledge, there's no other charter network uh, in America that has as many schools as she has without a single obvious uh, visible weak sister. 
Um, and, and so, you know, I'm not the only one who's been fascinated about how does she do this. Uh, you know, there have been any number of people who are saying, you know, not just, oh, she's, she's cheating, but oh, it's the money she's raising from private philanthropy. Uh, you know, oh, it's, uh, uh, she's, she's creaming kids. She's doing all these other nefarious things. So she's, she, um, well, I don't think anybody uh, particularly wants to be um, controversial or polarizing. She, she certainly does not shrink from a fight. There is, uh, you, you mentioned cream skimming, which is a concern that a lot of uh, in the public school establishment have mm -hmm. concerns about uh, either through uh, vouchers or uh, scholarship tax credits right. or even charter schools right. have this concern that uh, young people uh, who are predisposed to do better in school, um, either through their own acumen or through uh, super engaged parents, parents who are you know, delivering a lot of words around mm -hmm. the house as the kids are uh, very young. Setting high but, expectations uh, at home, et cetera. Absolutely. Sure. So so what does cream skimming look like yeah. in the in the context of Success Academy? Yeah, that's a, a really good, good question. And it's really important to be uh, specific about terms and, and frankly, probably more specific than I was in writing the book. Um, okay, so the, the, the conventional wisdom has been for years that Success Academy gets these uh, stellar results by, um, call it what you will, creaming, by cherry picking. Um, in other words, the theory is that they um, hand select uh, the best and the brightest, even in you know low-income communities, and then they you know they they counsel out, and I'm making air quotes uh, which listeners can't see around the words counsel out, uh, the laggards, the difficult to teach, the behavior problems, etc. And so that what you end up with is this kind of you know this all-star team of you know ten-year-olds who 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 just crush the state the state tests. Um, no evidence of that, but what I write in the book and what is I guess proven to be somewhat controversial. Uh, is that she is she's not um, uh, cherry picking uh, students. She's cherry picking parents, and and that's a, a verbatim quote. And I wish I'd said it differently because cherry picking implies that it is the school that is doing the picking. Um, it's not. It's it's the parents who are um, you know self selecting, cherry picking themselves, so to speak. That that doesn't make it uncontroversial. I mean, um, you know, I, I describe this at, at great length in in the book. Um, like every oversubscribed charter school, Success Academy has lotteried in admissions. So this um, gives the impression or the it, it appears to be a randomly selected uh, group of, of parents and kids. Um, so, so, but there's any number of steps uh, in between winning a seat in the lottery and actually enrolling and starting school several months later. So first you win the, the lottery, then you're invited to a so-called welcome meeting, then you have to do a confirm your interest email, then there's you know, this, a lot of the standard paperwork, uh, then there's a, a uniform fitting, and then there's a dress rehearsal before school starts. By the way, I should mention that um, the vast majority of Success Academy students start in kindergarten. So um, the dress rehearsal is you know, to orient them as small children to what they're going to see when they come to school. Um, so at, at each one of these steps, the welcome meeting, the uniform fitting, et cetera, parents who do not show up and do not communicate, um, you know, looking for an alternate day, et cetera, uh, are dropped from the process. So, and, and by the way, the welcome meeting itself, um, you know, there's a lengthy chapter in the book describing that. It's, um, I don't think it's um, inaccurate to describe that as kind of a, 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 a cross between a revival meeting and scared straight. Um, they are quite... Uh, emphatic 
about you know what they stand for and what they will not stand for, as it were. So, you know, as, as one person uh, leading one of these meetings said, "We're not Burger King. You don't get to have it your way," uh, meaning that. We've got this curriculum. We've got these behavior standards. We've got these uniforms. Uh, we suspend kids as early as kindergarten, and if you don't like it, then we're not the school for you. So they could not be clearer uh, about who they are. Uh, so this gives parents an opportunity to say, um, "Yeah, I want that for my kid," or "No, I do not want that for my kid." Um, this is somewhat controversial within the charter school world. A lot of schools don't don't go to these extremes of of kind of culture setting and culture keeping. But I do think it it just doesn't make sense to pretend that it does not uh, set the conditions that allow these stellar results uh, to occur. In other words, you've got parents who are voting with their feet not once but repeatedly, uh, saying yes, this is what I want, or at least uh, willing to go along with it in order to 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 get their kids this this kind of education. I just don't know that you're able to get these kind of results without that uh, kind of exercise in culture setting and culture keeping. You mentioned that uh, this type of cherry picking. Uh creaming, uh, cream skimming uh, of, of uh, young people and parents uh, is not uncontroversial. Uh, you say, in fact, it's quite controversial. But to the extent that what the uh, schools are selecting for and what the parents are selecting for is a school that uh, it requires a, lot, a great deal of engagement, places a lot of demands on, on parents, what, what are the complaints that you hear from the public school establishment? Sure. Well, I mean, there there are first of all complaints uh, from folks who just think that the, the the style of education on offer at Success Academy is just inappropriate for children. I mean, I, I personally don't. I didn't find them to be harsh and militaristic. I found them to be mostly warm and engaging. Um, you know, tough love, as 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 I say in the book, but 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 still warm and 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 not uh, harsh and militaristic. Um, but the the soul of the complaint is probably um, this kind of internecine battle between ed reformers and uh, traditional public school supporters. And, and the latter will want to say, ha, see, we told you um, that that uh, this was going on, so it's unfair to compare. Um, and my answer is, well, that's right. It, it is unfair to compare. Um, but follow that idea where it leads. Are, are we in the business of, of uh, making fair comparisons or are we in the business of educating children? Um, you know, if, if, if you think a school system uh, exists for the purpose of making comparisons and that everybody must be the same, well, I, you know, I guess there's, uh, there's, there's an argument to be made. It's not an argument that I would make or support. Um, but I, I don't think that traditional public school people are wrong to say that um, or to be, you know, have their knickers in a twist, as it were, uh, and saying that they've been you know, dealt with unfairly because of these unfair comparisons. So where, in other words, follow this ar argument where it leads. If you're a traditional public school um, supporter, would you say, um, we told you that Success Academy is different than us and therefore no one should be allowed to go there? Well, well, no, I, I wouldn't. I don't think that's a valid argument whatsoever. Um, you know, does it make any sense? Uh, and I should very quickly add the opposite argument that charter school folks and ed reform folks have made for years, uh, you know, peddling the idea that, uh, look, these schools are just the same and the only difference is the door that the kid walks in in the morning. Well, I don't think that's true either. Um, so I think, you know, we have to be a little bit more clear-eyed about, um, you know, the, the the conditions under which kids go to school. And, you know, again, not to put too fine a point on it, but but not treat children as public property. In other words, 
traditional school uh, advocates are right to say that it's unfair and it makes their lives difficult uh, when uh, children with the most engaged parents uh, leave and go to not just Success Academy but another charter school. But it doesn't seem morally right to say, therefore, they must stay in a low-performing school. An attorney that uh, I know fairly well who's uh, recently retired from the Institute for Justice, uh, Dick Comer, has spent a lot of time uh, arguing cases before courts on behalf of parents who want to educate their children in some particular way. He uh, made a point about public schools that has really stuck with me, and any regular listener to this program will have probably have heard me say this a couple of times. And, and his argument is essentially that uh, wealthier parents um, – have sort of a, an ace in the hole in a, in a even when they do send their kids to public school and and part of that is that their concerns simply are going to be heated a lot more uh, than parents who are unable to put take their children somewhere else. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, and and to make an even more broader, more simple point, um, you know, affluent Americans uh, enjoy already something very close to perfect school choice. So if you, if you have um, the means, uh, you know, the, the sufficient funds to uh, opt out of the public school system altogether, well, there are, you know, depending on where you live, any number of perfectly fine private schools who are happy to take your money. Um, uh, not just private schools, but but religious schools as well. Uh, you have the ability, more often than not, to to pick up and move. Um, you know, I live in the New York area, so uh, an affluent family that had a tough time getting into one of the elite private schools in the Upper East Side can certainly pick up today and move to you know Greenwich or Scarsdale or you know Montclair, New Jersey or Jericho on Long Island. Um, Success Academy, by the way, uh, beats at least if test scores matter to you. Their test scores are higher than those places, which is interesting. Um, but the, the, the larger point is all of these things that the parents at Success Academy are self-selecting for, um, school safety, a uh, high expectations or rigorous school culture and curriculum, um, parents, white and affluent parents uh, can can achieve with very little difficulty. Um, so the, the, the curious uh, argument here is if you want to say that this is unfair, uh, what Eva Moskowitz and Success Academy are doing, why is it suddenly only unfair when somebody figures out a way to offer this to uh, low-income black and brown people? You mentioned uh, safety. Uh, you mentioned test mm -hmm. scores. I looked at the Success Academy's uh, website recently, and test scores are front and center. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly, the uh, public school establishment, uh, uh, part of what they care about a great deal is is test scores. Uh, I'm not sure that's true. Oh, really? Go, I wonder if the public me. school establishment cares about test scores or whether that's a condition that we've uh, imposed upon them under the, the broad banner of accountability. So uh, to what extent is that number one for these parents? Oh, I, I, I think um, it's a really interesting question. Uh, I mean, you know, I say this all the time. I, I think my ed reform credentials are in pretty good order. Um, I teach to this day, at least part-time at a charter school. Uh, I'm a unrepentant choice guy. Uh, you know, I, I don't have an issue with testing and accountability. Um, you know, there's a but coming. And and here it is. But um, all of this has had a deleterious effect on on uh, a place called school. 
Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember going to school one day in sixth grade and finding out we're sitting for a standardized test that day. Um, and that was it. In other words, there was no prep. It was not a, you know, a, it, it was not the reason that we, we sent kids to school. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that in some places, uh, kids can get the sense that the reason they go to school is uh, to take a test, uh, a math test and a reading test uh, e each spring. It's it's become, uh, you know, uh, to use the obvious cliche, the, the, the testing tail is, is wagging the schooling dog. Now, you know, some there are some folks who are enthusiastic about this. There's a lot of folks who obviously are not enthusiastic about this. I'm, I'm very much in the middle. In insofar as um, I, I don't much like for how the, the the way that testing has kind of upended the culture of education, but I, I don't romanticize or oversimplify the idea that it used to be better. It did not used to be better. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's uh, a Hobson's choice. I guess it's not Hobson's choice. Pick a better analogy. It is. Um, uh, I, I can't come up with an analogy. <laughs> it's. Uh, there's no perfect way to do this, but I, I, you know, those who want to just say, you know, um, you know, throw out all the tests, just trust the teachers and send more money. Well, that's not going to work either. Um, if we didn't have testing, we would simply go back to, you know, um, just uh, just screwing poor kids. Forgive my bluntness. So what? So the parents. Uh, how how important is testing and and test scores to parents? Right. I assume it's very important to them because I assume they have been led to believe as many as as many of us have that that's how we know a good school. Now, I, for what it's worth, I think it's a lot more subtle and nuanced than that. But to the degree to which um, you know testing is the coin of the realm, uh, parents I think have probably uh, at least some significant subset of them probably think. Uh, like a lot of people do, by their test scores, shall we know them? Uh, so I, I think they can be forgiven for assuming that um, that that you know uh, you want to pick a school with with best test scores because a generation of ed reformers have tried to convince all of us that that's the case. What's What's interesting to me, if I can answer a question that you didn't ask, even though um, test scores are you know the the um, the straw that stirs the drink at Success Academy, I, I came away thinking that they were really less important than the culture. Now, this, this gets complicated because you know, it, it would be just incorrect to pretend that Success Academy is not dominated by testing concerns. I mean, they put test prep uh, on steroids, as it were. They are, they are aggressive uh, about it. But what's interesting to me, and again, you know, I, I, I found, found the culture there fairly you know, warm and engaging, um, it's fascinating to me if you think about this from the perspective of a low-income family of color or a, a kid of color who probably doesn't have um, you know, the, the, the mental model of this. But put yourself in the place or in the mindset of that 10-year-old kid in the South Bronx who is good at school because the test says he's good at school and his teachers are deeply invested in him doing this, doing well in this test. And nobody's telling him that this is easy, quite the opposite. They tell them that it's hard. And then he goes out and he gets, uh, as we would say, a level four, the highest score on the test. But not just that, his friends do. Uh, their friends do. His parents are in on this. His friends' parents are in on this. It creates a culture that, in my mind, uh, cannot do anything other than change the relationship of a community like the South Bronx to a place called school. Suddenly, it is not a place where you go uh, to learn how little is thought of you and how narrow your horizons are. It's a place where you go home thinking, hey, I'm good at this. I'm good at school. And there are people here um, who are helping me with this, and I'm bought in. Um, so in other words, that that culture of success, no pun intended, 
uh, validated uh, by state tests. Uh, in this case, I think is is may quite possibly be be creating something far more powerful than than just the test scores themselves. And now uh, the unpleasant matter of <laughs> okay scale. Yeah. Um, this, it's, it's sort of amazing to me that there are so many of, of schools that are, uh, success academies and that they seem to perform consistently well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but in reading your book, it seems like, you know, when you, when Eva Moskowitz says that, uh, you know, this isn't for everyone, she's really including teachers in that too. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, in retrospect, I mean, I, I, I'm a second career teacher. I didn't set foot in a classroom as a teacher until I was in my late 30s, almost 40. Um, I sure wish that I had trained at a success academy. I mean, I would have been far better prepared um, to teach fifth grade at PS 277 down the block from where I was embedded at success academy um, than I was prepared by uh, New York City, um, the United Federation of Teachers and others. So I, I wish I'd had that training. Um, but I did, um, to your point, when I spent my year at that school, I constantly thought, could I do this? Would I want to work here? And, and the answer, candidly, was no. Um, and, and let me be really clear, uh, that, that's probably because of who I am and where I am in my career. I'm like 56 years old. The idea of being able to maintain this level of intensity um, all day, every day, uh, is un almost unthinkable to me. Um, you know, it's a very young place. Most of the teachers there are visibly in their twenties. Uh, you rarely see anybody who is, um, you know, uh, older than that. And I don't think I saw anybody in a classroom who was my age. Um, you know, there, there is a level of commitment and intensity that is that, that sure, it just burns them out. Um, but what's interesting, um, is that it doesn't seem to affect their results, which is an, Another fascinating point, because that calls into question one of the orthodoxies of uh, of education. That um, you know, think of how much better we would be if we could make teaching a lifelong career, and 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 teachers get better as they get older or, or, or get more experience. Um, you know, there, there's there's a, there are not many uh, or, or um, examples from the Success Academy model that I think would translate to K twelve at large. Uh, the intensity notwithstanding, the thing that I think enables them to get good results with relatively inexperienced people is that they've got a curriculum and they've got a, a teaching model uh, that gets to competence very, very quickly. I don't, I don't want to wonk out on you, but, but the average American teacher spends a bewildering amount of time uh, pulling together his or her own resources. Uh, there was a there was a study by Rand within the last couple of years that uh, I think I've got this right from memory. Like ninety eight percent of of American teachers uh, get materials uh, uh, on their own um, uh, to, to 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 teach. Uh, that does not happen at Success Academy. They they've got a curriculum. Uh, it is provided. They still do lesson planning, um, but it's what they call intellectual preparation. It's preparing to teach that lesson. It's practicing. Uh, they spend a lot of time studying student work, uh, giving feedback. They spend a lot of time building relationships with with students and and parents. All of that is more valuable than spending 20 or 30 hours a week on Google and Pinterest saying, what am I going to teach tomorrow? So if there's any one lesson that can be uh, translated from Success Academy to K-12 at large, uh, I, I think, I hope uh, it would be that one. States vary widely when it comes to uh, how charter schools get approved, uh, how mm -hmm. they qualify for state funding. And for, for 
for good reason, it's it's often difficult to uh, to start a new school and then attach yourself to uh, the the taxpayer dime. Um, mm-hmm. To the extent that there are policy hurdles to for us to try to discover all the would be Eva Moskowitzes out there uh, who would like to start and could successfully run uh, a network of of charter schools. What are those policy hurdles? Yeah, it's it, hard to say uh, with a broad brush because they are uh, different from from state to state. Um, broadly speaking, I, I think we are in a moment where where charter schools are suddenly in bad odor, at least among the Democrats. I mean, if you listen to the rhetoric among the 2020 candidates, um, they seem to fall into two camps. Uh, there are some of those candidates who who hate charter schools, and then there are others who really hate charter schools. Um, so that's uh, and that and that's somewhat surprising because it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I mean, within the last ten years, that there was something approaching bipartisan consensus uh, on on the need for charter schools, and and that took some political bravery from the Democrats since they tend to be more aligned with with the the teachers unions. Um, that's all fallen apart, uh, and I'm not sure that it's coming back again any anytime soon. I mean, I'm sure it, it's there. Are, there are obviously some number of states that are still quite charter friendly, um, but in you know in in blue states, as it were, it it feels like it's cold out there and getting and getting colder. Uh, so that that's the most the most obvious one uh, is is that um, you know just the, the the politics around around charter schools have have changed. Um, I, I, you know I. Also, that we have to be careful. And I'm, I'm, I work for a think tank that is uh, an education reform and charter school advocate, um, but I don't want to be less than clear-eyed about it. Um, you know, I, one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I, I just find some of the rhetoric around uh, charter schooling and ed reform unsatisfying. Uh, in other words, I, di- I just don't know that it makes sense. Uh, to continue to try to beat on traditional public schools and say, "Hey, you're all bad guys," and and you know we we need to um, you know have charter schools to rescue uh, uh, people from them or kids from them. Uh, you know we we say all the time in education that we need to meet the children where they are. Uh, we should be saying we need to meet families where they where they are. Uh, one of the interesting things about Success Academy families, I don't have data on this, but it's quite observable. Um, in communities like the South Bronx, they are visibly, uh, or or um, a certain kind of family is visibly overrepresented. Uh, they tend to be uh, married, employed, uh, more often than not, uh, religious and or spiritual. I can't tell you how many families said to me, "Well, you know, if I had the money, I'd send my kid to Catholic school." Uh, we tend to uh, we ed reformers, I think, um, and actually, I think this is true of people in general in education. We we tend to view urban communities in one of in these families in one of two ways, neither of which is helpful. Either we uh, assume that everybody in a impoverished inner city neighborhood is, um, you know, is dysfunctional, and and we view these communities through a lens of dysfunction, and we pretend that these, um, you know, uh, together families, as it were, don't exist. Or we look at these families who are, you know, married, employed, ambitious for their children, and and we say, well, 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 those those kids will be fine. We don't have to worry about them, and and that may be even worse. I mean, that's just you know horribly condescending. Um, so so you need a success academy in a sense to meet those families where they are, because uh, if if there is not a school or a charter school uh, for those families, then they will be uh, lost, as I say, to the dull hum of mediocrity.
mediocrity in in low performing neighborhood schools, and those children will will march in place. They will not be given what they need to um, be upwardly mobile. Um, and and, and uh, if you view those communities, uh, you know, purely through a lens of dysfunction, then you will not give them the academic challenges that that uh, you know more fortunate kids get. With all that as the backdrop, um, are there clear lessons for policy? that uh, you feel more confident about now than than before this experience uh, of writing this book? Yeah, I think I'm going to give the old Paul Sangas answer. That's a really interesting question. Let me try to evade it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, honestly, I, I, uh, it, it's not... Um, okay, uh, let, me, let me take some time and try to give you a thoughtful answer. I walked into Success Academy, and I think I say this in the book, expecting to write uh, a book about curriculum and instruction, because that's what I write about. I mean, that's you know, that's kind of most of my work in education and education policy. Uh, change the inputs, change the outputs. I ended up writing a book about school culture um, and, and the conditions, the classroom conditions that are created when you get every adult in a child's life, including their parents significantly, uh, pulling in the same direction. Well, school culture is a really difficult challenge for policymakers to solve for. I mean, look at the um, you know the, the response to this book, where people are focusing on the mechanisms that we described earlier, whereby parents self-select into these schools, and their hair is on fire over it. And and perhaps that should have been predictable, because that's not the way we do it, right? You're supposed to do this for every child. You're supposed to be able to take, uh, regardless of a kid's uh, background or misfortunes, you're supposed to uh, raise that kid to uh, you know his his or her academic best level. Well, well, that's a little naive. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very very hard for even the best schools. Uh, to 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 do that, so what if culture is the thing that makes the difference? I mean, now you know if if anybody who's listening to us has spent any time working in a in a Catholic school or went to one, they're like rolling their eyes right now and saying, "Well, duh, of course, that's you know we've known this forever in in Catholic education," and and, and they're right. But significantly, Catholic schools are not public schools, and in most places, uh, you you don't get to attend a Catholic school on on the public dime. Um, but if school culture is the thing that really attaches kids uh, to to a school that creates the conditions that make them want to acculturate themselves to high academic achievement, because that's the culture of the school, well, that's very, very hard to do unless uh, you allow parents to to self-select for for that specific school culture. You can't impose it, to 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 put it bluntly. You can't just take the first hundred families off the street and do Success Academy uh, because it does make prodigious demands on parents and you can't make them do it. Um, you know, Success Academy uses the nag factor quite successfully to create a culture where parents go along with the program or, or you know, they face a lot of resistance. Uh, but you simply could not demand uh, that parents do this. Um, you know, and, and I don't mean to single out the Success Academy culture. You couldn't just assign kids to Catholic school. You couldn't just assign kids to a Montessori school. You couldn't just assign kids to any school that has a particular way of doing things. Um, so if culture is the thing, and I mean school culture, I want to be very precise about that. If if a if a particular school culture and getting you know high levels of buy-in across a school community, if that's the thing that makes it work, I simply don't know how you uh, account for that in our current policy. Robert Pondicio is author of How the Other Half Learns: Equality, Excellence, and the Battle Over School Choice. 
Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 